No, man. I, I, <laughs> if you told me, Mario, there's another fake news that's going to be the talk of, of the day, I wouldn't believe you. This, yeah. really, I, I, this is really what you sent me? I, I, not my idea. I mean, you I'm should be you, ashamed a, of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself for not knowing <laughs> that there was a fake XRP ETF application. I missed it completely yesterday, to be honest, and then just made a bunch of like stupid jokes and, and moved on. Look, I think... I think we should just admit the truth. <laughs> so guys, um, we didn't have a topic for today. So me, Ryan and Scott, you know, kind of were thinking yesterday what to do to be able to have something to talk about. And then Scott was like, guys, the ETF thing works. Let's do it again. And here we are. Um, yeah, so we, that was me. So, so, but literally somebody apparently actually filed it with a fake name to make it look like BlackRock. So it was, it's on the website. I'm just looking how much it popped, it popped, pumped uh, from 65 to 74. What percent? 65, you know? 65 to 75, you know, like 15 ish, 17, 18% something math. You know, and then, uh, right. What do you mean? So you said it's on the website. So it was actually, what do you mean it was on the website? Which website? Uh, apparently the- it was registered to, you know, the BlackRock, the, the, track they've taken is you registered in Delaware. And then like after that, people found out that they would actually filed and then you go through the whole process. So it's registered on the, apparently to my understanding, I didn't dig in too deep because it's so stupid, but uh, it's registered on the Delaware site. And like, as the registering name, somebody basically faked it to say BlackRock. I just reported a fake story. I, apparently, anyone on the panel here can correct me because I didn't dig too deep, but apparently it was the actually registered in Delaware. Who, did someone actually, who, did any of the big publications report it as news or no? I, I saw it uh, going, apparently it went wildly around Twitter, but I didn't see, or X, excuse me, but uh, I didn't see if it was actually uh, published like on any of the main news sources. Yeah, but Bankless mentioned it. Bankless? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah funny. I, mean, I, think, uh, I think a lot of the bigger like uh, influencer names and stuff retweeted it and shared it because, you know, that got to be first. Don't have to be right. You got to be first. Yeah, I'm just checking if Coin, uh, Cointelegraph did not report it. Um, that would make the story a bit more, more fun. Cur- cur- curious, uh, Scott and uh, Mario, thanks for having me up here today, guys. In regards to the ETF or the XRP, what, in regards to the protocols to get to that point, I believe there is even notaries required to get to, to that to that part of the process is is so what's the likelihood yeah i don't know how they pulled this off to be quite frank it, to your point it seems like you shouldn't i shouldn't just be able to go call myself blackrock and file for an etf and register an etf in delaware right exactly and but then also in regards to the volume that occurred yesterday for like as you, as you guys mentioned from 65 to let's just say 75 i believe there was about 100 million in, in in trading volume for xrp i mean that's that's not fake so wh- wh- what do you think stem uh, triggered that oh well that's i mean the same thing as when coin telegraph had the uh drunken intern tweet that the uh blackrock etf had been approved or whatever it was i think that uh people are so starved for narratives and obviously if the news is reported by someone they trust they fomo in to, to get ahead of it you know listen we saw bitcoin go 28 30 28 in less than an hour on fake ETF news. So, to, you know, extrapolate that to a less liquid asset with a passionate community. And I'm assuming it's exactly what happened. But I'm also assuming whoever posted the fake ETF is the one who uh, sold at 75 cents. 
Right. I mean, I don't have any evidence of that, but like, why would you go through that entire process if not to make money? Yeah. Also, just uh, while while we're talking, if anyone could come in from the NFT community and anyone from the uh, Odinals community, uh, and maybe someone on stage could talk on the on on either. Uh, but uh, th- there's just some good developments there. So we got Odinals. Sorry, man. So I know you want to talk about the fake story. It's called, but there's, there's the, the ordinal. Yeah, but was there a fake ordinal ETF <laughs> no, no, by any chance? No, because no. there's an ordinal ZT, uh, there's an ordinal NFT minted um, uh, with, uh, with the name XRP ETF and uh, that pump. No. So on November 12th, the number of Bitcoin ordinals inscriptions minted reached half a million, setting a record high. Uh, so came in on Dune. So I want uh, anyone that could talk on the, the ordinals ecosystem, please do come up, request. And uh, anyone that could talk about the NFT ecosystem, so there's a piece here by, where is it, Coinbase puts out. I know, Drew, Drew, you're an NFT guy, right? I am, I am, friends. Hey, Drew, yeah, can you give us a bit of a, do you mind, Scott, if I jump into the NFT uh, side of that? He's a Florida man, so it's, we're good. So, 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 <laughs> so, so Drew, maybe, uh, uh, Scott, you're good to go to the NFT thing quickly now, or do you want to? go through the i mean i would really like to dissect this xrp thing uh, yes yeah so drew no 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 i'm just kidding uh, okay all right so, so drew um just on the on the and just very briefly i was just reading a story on coin telegraph um and it, it, the heading is nft sales volume upward trends continue uh, industry executives say so so some executive says that the recent uptick in nft so it's brought a more profound interest so there's a recent uptick seems that the ecosystem sales are, are picking up can you tell us more? What type of uptick? What type of NFTs? Is it sustainable? Is it trading? Is it some shitty ass pump and dumps? What are we seeing in the ecosystem in the last few weeks and months? We've been seeing a lot of action on the Board API Club. Uh, you know, um, they pumped some money into it, uh, sweeping the floor, and then we've had some other players sweeping the floor on that collection. Uh, typically, when you see Bitcoin pump and, and the crypto markets go up. It, it kind of runs a cycle where those main coins will go up and then they'll spin off into uh, uh, there will be a pump and, and the secondary coins uh, and then even kind of like shit coins, ERC-20s, uh, and then you see it on, on 721s, the NFTs. Uh, so, yeah, so we're just seeing that kind of spill over into the rest of the ecosystem, uh, which is positive overall. Uh, you do get a lot of you know, kind of scammy stuff uh, when when things begin to pump, and I think that's what we're seeing with this, uh, you know, kind of fake ETF news as well, um, and, and the kind of offshoots of like a, uh, like you were mentioning a, a ordinals collection by the same name, uh, you know, but that the, type of stuff. Just, so is it, is it, it's memes. Are you saying so? It's just the memes that are gaining traction. It's not like you know, utility, proper projects, gaming, etc. Is it just memes again? Uh, for, there are a lot of memes that are getting an attraction. Uh, there is, you know, long-term projects, um, are, are continuing to build, uh, as we're getting into a better crypto market, but I still think we're early from a lot of those utility projects getting the type of momentum that they deserve, uh, that, that they should be getting during this time. Fair. Uh, Chris, Mikkel, anything else? Uh, we'll get back to the XRP story. Anything else on the NFT ecosystem? Anything else you're seeing or the audience? Yeah. I was just pretty curious because it's it's funny if I see on other spaces as well that a lot of the people from the NFT space, and I was wondering what Drew's vision is on this, think that the next bull run is really all about the gaming side of things and gamify and, and bringing that all up. Whilst at all the big events, when you talk with 
people from the token side, I don't know if I can call it that way, but like people from that, that mainly are in crypto and not in NFTs, they say that RWA is like the next big thing for the bull run, right? Real, real world assets, uh, fractionalization of RWA. So I'm just curious, what do you think, Drew, from your side? And, and of course, the hosts here as well. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think as, as new people enter the market, there is a need for um, for profile pictures. So you'll see PFP collections pumping. I think what we'll see more of in NFTs are brand new collections that pump. Uh, some of the um, some of the existing Man, ones from the last full one. As soon as I hear the word pump, it just I kind of kind of like the excitement kind of dies down. That I hate that word so much. So much. It's just, it's just like right, exactly what we're doing. Raising price, uh, see action. Uh, have um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of ways to say it, but yeah, I understand. Yeah, humans are going to human though. Yeah, Drew, I, it's not the wrong word because listen, we can pretend that we want people to care about the serious side of it, which we do, and the real world assets and tokenization, and I do think those things will drive the next. Uh, real adoption, but people are humans are FOMO tards. They're gonna just go absolutely fucking nuts over the next stupid picture that goes up in price because the price has gone up. Nothing's gonna change. It's kind of like people say, Hey, what's gonna be the big winner token of the next market, next bull market? And the answer is probably something you've never heard of yet that somebody's gonna create in the next few months before the bull market because there's no bag holders, right? I mean, it's it's not, it's, it's simple math. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, it's certainly not. But we've heard that, you know, this cycle won't be repeated and we'll never see it like it was in the past. I just disagree. I think people love the casino and they're going to go in and most of them will get rinsed in the end. I don't think they should, but it's just going to happen the same way. And I think that uh, Drew's right. I think that the fact that NFTs are going up right now has literally nothing to do with interest in those NFTs. It's yeah, just it's, it's the good. money trickling down good. to it the riskiest end of the yeah, but it's good to see. I'm just looking at the top te top uh, ten by sales volume. You've got some some good games there. There's things with utility gods on chain. Is there? You've got uh, obviously the the apes are everywhere. The the board app, mutant ape. But DraftKings is there. So rare is there. So it's like good to see some collections with utility. Obviously, CryptoPunks. Yeah, there. it's going to get better every cycle. Like you know, it's it's just like with with uh, tokens. I just think we're inevitably we talk about it all the time. But you know, humans expect things to happen overnight. They're really bad at understanding how long something's going to take to gain traction. But then on the flip side, they're equally, if not worse, uh, they're equally terrible, if not worse, at understanding how fast it can go when it does get adoption and the exponential and parabolic growth. So uh, most people come into crypto in that middle phase. They buy it and they expect something to happen overnight, and then they get impatient with time-based capitulation, and they capitulate before it actually goes. Parabolic, but then, but then, I, right? then, I, and so I think all the narratives of the past, like cycle, will be the ones that maybe start to actually come to fruition. Yeah, then I see something like uh, the captains, and I look at their website, just like meme land, and, and like, hey, we're a collection of ten thousand or nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine PFPs with. Rarity powered traits inspired by pirates, internet memes like shit. It's in the top ten. Yeah, fuck. It's the next bull market is going to be the same as the last one. <laughs> I can't believe that's in the top ten. Of course Let's get Mikkel's thoughts. Mikkel, obviously, you know, you could tell us your thoughts on NFTs, maybe, but gonna go back to the to the XRP ETF story and and the response from the uh, from the community, etc. Because that was the, obviously the focus of the show. 
Oh, no offense, but I could kind of care less about NFTs. I just came up to uh, talk about the XRP ETF news. Um, the One interesting thing I wanted to say, and like I saw the reporting right from the BlackRock person that it was fake. Um, I'm just kind of interested, like it's still on the website, which is something I'm pretty shocked about, right? It's like still up on that website. Uh, I checked it as of a couple minutes ago. So I, I'm not yeah. saying at all it's true. It's just something BlackRock has said. BlackRock has outright said it's fake and it's not them. I mean, they could be lying, but they have. Wasn't that just that one unnamed reporter? Like I, I saw that too. It's just this whole story still seems a little weird. I would have assumed a, a named representative from BlackRock would have came out and put it out. And also just weird that's on the website. Totally agree that. Not just any representative, Mikkel, but a managing director of, of BlackRock. And- Is who came out and said it? Well, to the Bloomberg reporter, that's correct. Okay, awesome. Right, so we have to trust that the reporter is at. Dude, you don't, that Bloomberg reporter doesn't misquote someone from BlackRock if they value their job and or life. Yeah, but and and then BlackRock exists. So BlackRock would never say something is fake if it's real, just because they don't want anyone to know. Because it, it's too for, from credibility perspective. It's a public filing. They wouldn't deny it. It's a public filing. Once they've made it public, they know it's going to go public, right? I mean, everybody's watching BlackRock, so it's not like they were trying to be sneaky and got caught and are denying. They're denying because it's not real. And let's be honest, guys. There's nothing against XRP. I think they have their hands full enough trying to get a Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, ETF approved that I just don't think we're going to start seeing them go further down the curve yet. I, I would get, I would bet if we get Bitcoin and Ethereum at some point, then we'll start to see uh, index funds, you know, like a top 10 or something like that. I'll be very surprised if anytime, even in this cycle, we start to see individual ETFs for smaller uh, market cap coins, regardless of what they are. Nothing new in XRP. How, how, when do you guys think, uh, uh, Scott, Mick, or Dave, when do you guys think we should cre- in a seriously talk about an uh, XRP ETF? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't want to mean. I would say never, but uh, maybe eventually. I, I don't know. Uh, XRP, I think you can answer, Mickle. You know it much better than me, obviously. But um, I, I don't know. I just, yeah, I, I don't see that happening unless there's major, major adoption and traction for XRP, which could happen. Michael. Yeah, well, I was just going to quickly say, like, based on what used to be the GBTC trust, XRP was the third uh, most valuable trust. Uh, if you couple that with the fact that um, Bitcoin and Ethereum both have this sense of clarity from the SEC and they're not being a security. And we'll use that broadly because they constantly give the crypto community whiplash on their thoughts. But I mean, you have a court ruling that XRP isn't a security. Um so to me, it just seems like as asset managers continue to roll out these products and want to give their customers exposure, it just seems to me like the, the next one up in line. Uh, it doesn't seem like much of a stretch to me to think that, right, like Ripple, a company that's probably going to IPO in the near future using one of the cryptocurrencies that's been around the longest, been around a lot longer than Ethereum, would be pretty high up on the decision to actually get this thing up and rolling. Also, I'll put out Another reason why I thought it was possible the filing was true was that um, the head of BlackRock's digital asset strategy group is actually an ex-Ripple employee. So to me, it doesn't seem so far-fetched that this thing could be right around the corner. Um, I think probably it would make sense that the case was fully wrapped up between Ripple and the SEC before uh, anything really happened. Where's that case? Ash? Maybe you could, you could use this opportunity to discuss the case and where we're at. What's the latest? Yeah, I'll just I'll just answer that quick because funny enough, 
I remember there was all these different lawyers coming out saying that the SEC was going to have an immediate appeal, and that's why they dropped the charges against Brad and Chris, right? Um, it looks like the SEC won't be able to appeal this case until late 2026, um, based on the current schedule for remedies. Right now, the SEC and Ripple have to essentially decide, hey, for the sales that Ripple sold to institutions, right, that were deemed securities transactions, how much of a fine does Ripple have to pay for those specific sales of XRP to institutions? Um, the SEC is coming into a massive predicament here because, one, none of the XRP was sold in the United States, so the SEC doesn't have jurisdiction over those sales. But two, even funnier, is the SEC has to prove that the institutional investors were damaged because of that sale of XRP. And almost every single institutional investor who bought the XRP is actually in profit. So right now, they're just deciding, hey, Rip, what's Ripple's fine for the subset of sales to institutions? And once that's decided on, essentially, the case is closed. Um, people are going to be screaming at the SEC is going to immediately appeal in the next three days like they have been. But those people have continued to be wrong. And it doesn't look like it's happening until 2026, if it ever happens, because there'll probably be a completely different SEC at that point with regulations that would probably prevent a trivial lawsuit like we saw. Uh, Dave, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Three really important points on this case. And, and stuff, but people should understand. Guys, is Dave cutting out? Yeah, I'm glitching bad. I thought. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's Dave is glitching back. Chris, uh, jump in, Chris, while we fix Dave's mic. Yeah, I just wanted to to take a step back on that because I think you asked, of course, why why this came and if there will ever be an XRP ETF and why why of course it was fake in the start. I think, of course, the the, the news from last week where uh, XRP was the I believe the fourth ever uh, uh, virtual asset to be approved by the Dubai. Uh, uh, government or the Dubai regulators uh, officially makes a, a big change in this, right? It's a big win for, for XRP there, uh, seeing that Dubai or UAE is such a, a leading example in the world uh, uh, or in the crypto world. Um, I think that's actually a, a big reason why we saw this this fake ETF, basically, and why people expect there to be an ETF, because you see XRP being approved as one of the main uh, crypto tokens out there. And... Um, yeah, I just wanted to add that to the conversation here. That it, I think that makes a big difference. Could could can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we can. It's perfect. Okay, good. Yeah, I just I don't know what was going on my AirPods. Uh, yeah, so there's three points. One, the fact that filings like this are so impactful is basically an indictment of the entire notion of our regulatory approach, where it's not a market sort of thing. It's a question of whether you're going to get this stuff done. But more important. This fake filing is literally exactly the kind of thing that market professionals expect regulators to investigate and prosecute. As Scott said, if you could go on a website in Delaware through a shell company and file something, having bought perpetual swaps and then selling them after the pop, I mean, that is literally the textbook definition of manipulation that in other markets would be a major focus of investigators. But the third point is because the U.S. regulators have pushed most of the volume overseas and there aren't, and the U.S. regulators don't have access to most of the exchanges where the stuff gets traded, it's really hard for them. It literally is about as clear an example as I've ever seen as to why the notion of regulatory clarity is so goddamn important. 
and why people should be pushing for it because people, you know, are able to make a lot of money on these things by screwing around because of what's been what, what's been created by this regulatory vacuum. I'm sure Commissioner Peirce would express it better than me without profanity, but the fact is it's really frustrating because it's exactly the bad things that we all hate in the crypto community. And it's exactly one of the only cases where you think regulators should be doing something. So I think that is really important. As far as all the other side stuff, look, I think XRP in a world where we weren't dealing with this nonsense, where we where it was clear what was a security, what isn't, how it could work, et cetera. I mean, you would be people would be filing for XRP. They'd probably be filing for Solana. And I agree with Scott. They'd be filing for indexes because that's what investors really want is to have an index of the top the top large cap coins. And so I think that all of that is true. Yeah, Ray, any other thoughts on this? I'm going to uh, we'll pick, pick, piggybacking off of that comment, David. In regards to, you know, obviously the ETF is to track the indexes, <clears throat> commodities or other assets, whatever the, the, the pool is. But why would somebody want to, and, and we're having this discussion with some iTrust Capital representatives last night at a meetup, and uh, so why would, why would somebody want to invest into the ETF when you can hop on over to uphold.com, create an account, and invest right in the underlying asset? Well, there's, there's two reasons. Uh, reason one is it's going to be cheaper. Uh, with all due respect to Uphold, and they're a good firm and they've been providing incredible service, the spread implied uh, is dramatically higher than uh, investors pay on ETFs representing just about everything. If you look at the best example of this is HYG. So if you were an investor and you wanted to buy high yield debt before that ETF came around, you were paying multi-percent spreads. And it was very, very difficult. HIYG came around and all of a sudden it went to free zero commissions and microscopic spreads. And so investors were able to invest and trade high yield debt. Uh, I think that is exactly the same thing with crypto where the average retail pays upwards of a full percent as opposed to, you know, a couple of basis points for ETFs and equities, or maybe it's five basis points. So it's like 95% cheaper. So that's reason one. Reason two is the ability to uh, handle things like estate planning uh, and whatnot. So, you know, how many people have wallets or buy on whether it's Uphold or any other, you know, Swan Bitcoin, doesn't matter, and want to make sure that their wives or people who are less technologically capable are holding it, or if they want to put it and bring it to their own wallet, which is what most of us on the stage probably do. You have to actually make sure you can do estate planning and stuff like that. And and and, and the th- uh, actually, I lied. There's three reasons. And the third reason is there's literal capital trapped in brokerage accounts that are retirement accounts or others, other ways where the people involved, the only way they can trade it is if you can actually buy it in a brokerage account and you can buy ETF. So that's the reasons. Uh, it's no more difficult than that. Scott, another thing I wanted to ask, uh, if you're done with the ETF story, Scott, um, just from a market's perspective, and unless you, Scott, you can go with first on this one, we'll go to the rest of the panel. And Gary, I appreciate you coming up. Just want to uh, you dig into it a bit further. We've got to see the, the stablecoin supply, the inflows finally kicking in. So for the first time in a long time, stablecoin market is increasing. And we have also for the first time in one point, one and a half years, the 90-day change in stablecoin supply is just flipped positive. So is that how, how important of an indicator is that and we're looking at the markets and whether we've reached the bottom, guys. Scott, do you want to go first on this one? 
I don't really have a clear answer on that, to be honest, because I'm not sure how much the mechanics and how stable coins are minted and redemptions uh, play, play into that. I mean, at the end of the day, market cap is increasing across the crypto sphere, and that's clearly bullish, right? And I think that uh, any more capital that's coming in to potentially buy dry powder is good. But, I, you know, I can't really – I've looked at that chart and kind of scratched my head because I don't know exactly, you know, what that really, really means. Maybe someone has more perspective. Dave, well, what's your stance on this one? Dave, Chris. Guys, can you hear me? Yeah, Dave hears you. Go ahead. Dave. Oh, I think it's glitching on my end. I can't hear anybody. Uh, I'm no, sorry. I, we can, sorry, we sorry can I actually was, was, was staring at the, at the volatility and the spread between CME Futures and Spot Bitcoin when it did this last dump. <laughs> so because we have clients who are trade that spread and we have you know whatever so i didn't hear the question i'm sorry mary could you no, i was just it? talking about the so we're finally seeing net inflows when it comes to stable coins that we, i remember last time we talked about this as net outflows and we're complaining how this the same just shows that the same money's yeah. in the industry. Oh. So are, we, are we finally getting fresh money is that exactly that for me it just seems like this is well, these it's are the indicators. go ahead yeah it's pretty clear that there is i mean look all you have to do is look at last week the story that caused the market to rally was an eth uh, ETF, yet uh, everything rallied, right? You know, Bitcoin rallied too at the same time. So it wasn't rotation out of Bitcoin. I mean, obviously Solana and several other coins rallied even more. Uh, when you see money going into stable coins, the use case, the reason people are willing to put money in stable coins, earning zero interest when they could otherwise be earning 5% because they're going to buy stuff with it. <laughs> so when you see money flowing into stable coins, it's because people are buying coins with it. I mean, it really is that simple. I, I don't know how else to express it. Either that or you expect the people are the only other reason is people buying stable coins uh, to transfer remittances uh, out of countries with really high inflation. Right. But that's not going to be enough case. size. Right. Exactly. Enough size. That's, I just wanted to say that before some a troll came out on the internet and said, well, no, there's another use for stable coins. But no, no, that's my point. That's more or less consistent. And so you wouldn't see it as a major change. So a major change is indicative of money going into the sector. Okay. And if you link that, and we'll go to Mikkel afterwards, Dave, but if you link that to, to how the markets are doing, uh, how the general markets are doing, um, your thoughts on where we are right now in the cycle. We're seeing new money come in. Obviously, we've seen the market do really well. Um, greed is picking up. I think the greed, the fear and greed index, that's 69. And, uh, and uh, you've got the stock market doing pretty well as well. Uh, crude oil just closed above uh, its 200-day moving average. Um, your thoughts on the general sentiment for the rest of the, the rest of the year and next year? I mean, look, my, my thoughts are, are are pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, the market, the stock market today is like jamming. I mean, Russell up four percent is just a huge move. That's the small cap index in the United States. Uh, it, when it comes to crypto, I think Bitcoin, you know, has been proving uncorrelated. Sadly, today it's slightly on the downside. We had a dump, but whatever. You know, it, this is you know Bitcoin and crypto climbing a wall of worry. This literally looks a lot like. Uh, the consolidation before another move higher is how it feels to me. I think that people are, and when you look at alts, it depends on which kinds of alts you're looking at, but there are some very, very positive sentiment news within alts, Solana being the most obvious one. You know, Ethereum, you know, looks uh, versus, I mean, Scott pointed it out, looks oversold against Bitcoin and the chart formation for Ethereum versus Bitcoin looks very good. I mean, from a fundamental point of view, you know, I'll let others comment on that. I mean, I, I think that 
generally speaking, it feels like the early stages of a bull market where we just had the relief rally. Remember, we're coming from, remember where we're coming from. We had 2022 and we all know what happened and I want to receive the litany. We are yet to get back into the trading range that was established before all the events of 2022 unfolded. And so that one would think that a year and a half later, with a lot of the metrics on on-chain, you know, tilting dramatically higher than they were last year, that we go higher and we go back and, and approach all-time highs in Bitcoin. And as far as altcoins go, I mean, look, I'm not calling for all, all-time highs on altcoins that are down 90% still. But, you know, there's going to be quality there and there's going to be gra- crap there. And it's up for people to figure out which is which. Mikkel? Yeah, I just wanted to point out something fascinating I saw the other day was that actually inflows are, when it comes to the top two stable points, are really going into tether and coming out of USDC. And it was something I was pondering for a bit, right? Like what was causing that? And my initial guess or my initial speculation was that actually what we're seeing is liquidity pick up all around the world, um, except in the United States. I look at USDC as kind of the United States' stable coin market and that market's decreasing while the rest of the world is taking off so i think what we're likely seeing is the rest of the world getting their act together um and how to actually bring this asset class forward and the united states trailing but the good news is is i think the rest of the world is actually the leading indicator here yeah i agree i I like both so it's nothing against either but obviously us all of the years of fud against usdt which may at some point have been true I, i can't speak to that but they've remained or have maintained a clean sheet the entire time, even though it's heavily regulated. And a lot of people actually want to avoid the heavy regulation of USDC when Silicon Valley bank collapsed, you know, USDC had $3 billion there, whatever the number was, it didn't end up being a issue because of the backstop and such. But I think that actually there was some legitimate, if only temporary FUD against USDC. And since that day, we've actually seen, uh, just major dominance from USDT. So, Michael, I think you're absolutely correct that, listen, the worldwide stable coin is Tether. It always has been. Um, that's what people are moving, and they're doing it not not surprisingly, I guess, uh, at this point on Tron um, because it's faster and cheaper. I think that Solana will probably grab a lot of that. But I, I think Tether, since that day of Silicon Valley Bank, has been viewed as the, ironically, the less centralized option and, and has just done exceptionally well. It's captured a ton of that market share from USDC. Go ahead. I mean, uh, Scott, Occam's razor, <laughs> simplest reason, the, there is at least 10 and probably closer to 100x more liquidity in altcoins and even in Ethereum in the USDT pairs and perpetual swaps across the major exchanges as there is the USDC pairs. And people who want liquidity will therefore use USDT. I don't think it, you have to look very much farther than that. Yeah, I agree, Chris. Yeah, I, I, I do think that... that- well, I'm afraid that that a lot of the the, the growth from from uh, investment from the rest of the world is fueled by what's happening in the U.S. Right? Because I do think the whole world looks at what's happening in the U.S. with this whole ETF-based uh, speculation that's going on there now. Um, and and I, I I'm I'm just curious to see. I feel that because everything is pumping right now, it's not really new money and new people coming to the market, but it's more. The people that are already here putting in more money. Which no, is, but no, 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 money, no, no. But... Hold on, hold on, Chris. Two, two points you made that, uh, that I, I want to understand further. So number one, you said the world is watching the U.S. and acting on the U.S. I don't get it. So when there's good news in the U.S., the rest of the world pumps, but not the U.S. There's no inflows from the U.S. 
We're gonna, and that, that same question also applies to Mikko. I, I don't understand. We've got all the positive news that are happening in the US over the last few months, XRP included. Yet inflows are coming in outside the US. So I, I just don't understand how this adds up. And the second point, Chris, you said that it's, not, it's the same money. No new money is coming in. Well, if it's the same money, we don't see the, the, the entire market pump and we don't see net inflows when it comes to stable coins. So I just want to push back on these two points. There's definitely new money. There's definitely new money. There's definitely new money. I I meant it's the same people spending money. Obviously, it's new money, but it feels like it's the same money because it's diversifying. I don't know. New new money is... He's basically saying that the people who have been sitting on the sidelines are bringing their dry powder back into the market. Is that correct, Christian? We can't can't know that. Like, there's no... no, Unless... Is there any indicator that kind of points to that? Because I don't know if any indicator tells you what new money is coming in. Um, I think it's both. But, uh, yeah, speculation. Uh, Mikko, what do you think, especially on the second point? Like, why would inflows come in from the rest of the world? It's a very good point you've made, by the way. But why would the, why yeah, would well, come in? So, yeah, well, another speaker just said it, and it's like other places in the world are just getting their stuff together. Like Dubai is putting together a comprehensive framework. We see uh, very positive things coming out of Europe. It just seems to me like the rest of the world is starting to push forward and actually giving institutions the ability to start stepping up in this asset class in a big way. Now, when I made that comment, right, I said that I thought it was a very interesting uh, divergence between the two stable coins. And I was just speculating on what was creating that. Because typically, if you look at the past, right, both of these stable coins tend to see similar flows. When liquidity comes in, you see the stable coins rise together. And then when people start exiting, you see kind of the stable coins start getting burned. I was just pointing out that for the first time in a while, there seems to be a pretty big divergence between them. And I was just speculating on, hey, what's causing this? It seems like the rest of the world is starting to push forward and adopting this technology while the United States lags behind. And I take your point, Mario, about like wins in the United States, but there's no question there's still significant, significant pushback against this industry. Um, Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse said it the other day. He said, despite the fact that we got a massive win for XRP not being a security, he said the U.S. environment is still so hostile towards this industry, we're still having a hard time even approaching these institutions in order to start actually working with them. So I think these wins, right, are big in eventually getting regulatory clarity and regulation that helps the industry because it's going to show policymakers like, hey, um, you can't just come out and attack it and make up arbitrary rules. But we're still in an environment where there's not a lot of clarity on how traditional institutions can actually interact with this ecosystem in a compliant way. Ray, uh, you got to unmute Ray. And Ray, I think uh, hold on, this, while you're unmuting, um, I sh- yeah, you're raising money, aren't you? Without, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to talk about Linko, but uh, Link to. But uh, the reason I ask this is, is uh, I'll ask this question a lot. Is like, what's the sentiment like on the ground when you talk to investors? Because what I'm hearing over the last couple of weeks is that um, you know we're, we're starting to see that change when it comes to startups raising money, um, and the sentiment is shifting beyond just the market pumping. Oh, we're bullish at Link2 uh, across the board. Uh, ask, ask, ask the team. I mean, in bullish as to, in bullish as in just you're feeling bullish, or no? You're seeing like you, when you talk to people, it's different. Oh, is it is it different when you talk to people? people that people that were sitting on the sidelines? Oh, we're, we're we're seeing new investors come to the platform. We're uh, across various demographics, which is very exciting. Uh, we are. I mean, even. Speaking in regards to link to ourselves, a platform, we're scaling. Uh, we've just, I, I'd say, consistently over the past month, we're, we're seeing or registering about, I don't know, somewhere around 10, 15,000 uh, new users a day. And, and so we just succeeded past 307 million. What were the numbers when you were, last time we spoke? What were your numbers per day? And again, I'm, I'm looking at that more 
Oh, that, no, I don't want to talk. I, I, that was that's a good question. Let's just say we were. I think the last time we spoke, we were somewhere around three hundred and fifty thousand registered users, and today we're you know we have a hundred thousand more. And so that, that was a. Uh, that was how long ago did we what did we speak, Mario? Probably about a month, two months ago. Mm. Okay. So, uh, so we see. Might have been even. You're seeing. We might we might have been had less than three hundred thousand. But regardless, we're seeing some serious growth in, in more checks. To USD, one, sorry, just before you go, yes, one more question. Sorry, but are you seeing more checks being written as well? More investments being made on the platform or no? A absolutely, because we reduced our minimum investment minimum or minimum investment to twenty five hundred bucks. So we're seeing a a high high volume of 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 smaller transactions, but it are definitely driving the needle on on uh, on on growth mm -hmm. for Link Two. So oh. I, I believe, that, and just for those on the on the call, you know, our we our minimum minimum investment at Link Two used to be ten thousand. We reduced it to five, and now we reduced it to twenty five hundred bucks, and we're just starting to see some. This goes. This goes. The reason Mario, I the reason I ask you a question, Mario. Okay. Oh, yeah, you can ask me. It. I was going to ask you, Mario, if you're seeing more deal flow. You know that. I'm, I'm, I mean, listen, I, I don't, I don't pay much attention to it, but like, uh, all of a sudden, my DMs are full of. Uh, most of them are probably scams, but I'm seeing a lot more things. Obviously, people either attempting to raise or people that are now willing to launch that have been holding off on things they already raised for over the past years. You seeing that? Yeah. Um... Yeah, so so there's two metrics that uh, I don't talk to projects myself, obviously, because I'm sitting there talking about war the whole fucking time. But the, the team was telling me that two things that picked up. Um, it was a few days ago. Number one is a lot more people coming in to sponsor the show, and I'm seeing you seeing that with your show as well. So uh, so pick up in sponsorship numbers, and again, that's projects wanting to market, wanting to get investors. A lot of interest on the finance show, which indicates you know the finance audience that we do is is, is investors. So whenever we see a pickup there, that means projects seeing. Um, investor sentiment shift enough that they want to present to investors. So that's metric number one. Metric number two is when we projects we're incubating, um, they they they're starting to get checks a lot quicker. At least the discussions are moving forward. A lot of the pending discussions yeah, are starting to close. Right. Yeah, a lot of the pending discussions are going to close. So these are the two metrics that are interesting, um, and that's why I was asking Ray the similar questions. It's not more. It's not talk about linked to, but more just a. I mean, obviously, his platform is a perfect indicator of of the sentiment and, and whether investors are writing bigger checks. Yeah, because they're raising themselves and then they have people who are exactly. investing in multiple things. So, yeah, from both sides. Yeah, but no, we're, yeah. we're definitely we're definitely seeing, we're definitely seeing, oh, look, I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'm finally speaking at an event. I think there's more excitement. It's clear. It's all sentiment driven. And I feel like since there's positive sentiment in the market, since there's new money coming in, people are just willing to invest or willing to take a shot at actually launching in this market, which they weren't for the last year and a half. You know, people had great ideas. They raised money and they said, listen, we can't launch something into this market, right? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I think that's going to change soon for better. Yeah. Um, by the way, do you know about the event Blockchain Jungle in Costa Rica? I forgot to ask you at the beginning of the show. Yeah, you invited me and then I literally laughed my ass off. Because oh. We can't get you like out of your house to go to a restaurant. I was like, you're going to fly into the middle of the Costa Rican jungle to speak at an event instead of like doing it on Twitter spaces and you invited us. But isn't it like this week? Yeah, I think I'm, I was going I'm, away for Emmy's birthday. I'm flying, this week? Yeah, I'm yeah. flying out. I'm flying out in a few hours, apparently. Uh, fuck, like very soon. I had no it idea. Sounds amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 so first, in our first, I usually say no to events, but uh, this one's in Costa Rica. I've never been. But look, moving away. The reason I want to ask you is like, like oh, I, so I can give you an idea. Yeah, I know, I know. I like, yeah. Look, long story. I'll talk to you offline. But uh, they, um, uh, the reason I mentioned it is like because obviously I'll, I'll be able to give you an idea of the sentiment there. Um, but I, well, I did speak at an event here in Dubai, uh, Gorav. So when Gorav, oh no, in India, sorry. When Gorav advised me, I always say yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I spoke there. I think their, their first event they do in India. And um, yeah, like it was, it was packed. Um, but the Indian market is killing it. The Indian market is incredible. Um, but I think everything outside the United States is packed. It's mm, crazy. Yeah, well, it depends. Not all of European countries, but yeah, uh, obviously Asia. Um, Ray, uh, uh, you were kind of shifting the discussion to your thoughts on the stablecoin inflows. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're talking about old money, new money, and I just want people to re recognize the fact that uh, obviously the the creator of USDC is Circle, a link to portfolio company, but their key investors are BlackRock, Fidelity Management, uh, Sequoia Capital. And just keep in mind, you know, I, I understand that you uh, audience members might believe Tether is the go-to. I, 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 I had the opportunity to uh, attend Circle's for Circle Forum NYC in New York, which was held around the same time as as the Ripple uh, proper party. And uh, Jeremy Allaire, their CEO, came out on stage proudly and said that, uh, well, one, he he acknowledged all of the talented and decorated personnel that were in the room. May they be money transmitters, uh, financial institutions, uh, applications, investors, defraud the above. But it was it was a proud it was a proud room of of uh, of entrepreneurs and go-getters. But where I'm getting at is he proudly said on stage that USDC, uh, since the inception of, of the coin, has processed over $12 trillion in transactions. And, and, and at the time of, of June 2023, there was over 1.7 million holders of USDC. And so, I mean, this is obviously this is still a fledgling market, but these are some big these are big league numbers. So I, I believe that, you know, as we pick pick up speed, we're going to see more from Visa. We're going to see more from BNY Mellon, MasterCard come out, uh, which are which are enterprise customers of of Circle's USDC. So I, I think uh, we're, we're I understand the fact that we, we've heard Brad Garlinghouse and, and everyone say that, you know, the U.S. is behind. But I've I my gut's telling me these guys are ready to go. I think we're just waiting on that flip of the switch moment, which could be regulations being passed from the stablecoin acts or the uh, uh, fit 20 bill. And so I'm just, there's, there's things going in the house right now that I think can drive the needle in real time. And so I just, yeah, Ray, I think they're ready to go. And right now the ETF, if that wins and gets approved, that's just where it's going to go. Right. So I think that U S investors are ready to go and they'll take a Bitcoin first strategy until there's clarity on everything else, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking if, if XRP is the only uh, digital asset with clarity right now in the United States, that, that could be uh, a leader, but I, I'm, we'll see. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, I just want to be clear. I mean, I am not at all uh, suggesting anything negative about USDC. Actually, you know, we have a circle account. We, I think that everything you said is accurate. I was just reporting on the facts on the ground, which are, you know, we've seen close to $2 billion of trading in Tether-based pairs and very, very little trading in USDC-based pairs because the liquidity is more in the Tether-based pairs right now, particularly in derivatives. I think that when USDC derivatives take off, 
uh, I think that, that that will be that use case. But the other use cases you mentioned are absolutely accurate. I think you're 100% right. So this is this is not me being a fanboy to Paolo and Tether. This is me just telling you that, it, you know, at CoinRouts, look, we, you know, we help people trade and our clients tend to trade the more liquid instruments. That's all. No, no, hundred percent. And on that comment, uh, Dave, curious if that I, I believe I re- re- recall reading the fact that Binance removed uh, USDC trading pairs from their platform. Uh, what what do you think that had? Uh, what kind of effects or impact would that have had on those types of trading figures that you're re- referencing? Yeah, by the way, by the way, Ray, that was before that was before even the BUSD failure and stuff. So that was actually you know Binance was making a move there to convert force convert USDC into BUSD at that point. And that was before BUSD then got on the radar of regulators and, and got in trouble and basically died. They, you know, killed it uh, with uh, no due process. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I mean, the answer is that's significant, right? Because Binance has a pretty healthy market share in global derivative markets. Uh, and so, you know, our, it, it's... Uh, what 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 are we at? You know, in terms of perpetual swap trading, I mean, on our our platform this month, uh, big numbers, and it's like it's over forty percent of of trading. Uh, you know, it's down from where it used to be, which is you know, frankly, good for a variety of reasons. Not nothing against CZ, just more diversification is probably better for people. But yeah, it's just it's liquidity begets liquidity. It's one of those those axioms in trading that we kind of all take for granted, and you know, it it is. Look, if, if there's an issue with Tether in you know legally at some point, uh, I think USDC will step in and Binance and everyone else will be forced to create USDC pairs. And I think it will be, if not seamless, it certainly wouldn't be a disaster in, in the long-term sense. Of course, in the short term, it would be. So, you know, yeah, it's really just about liquidity. That's all I'm talking about there. Gary. Thank you, Dave. Hey. I was uh, muted, yeah. Yeah, Gary, I wanted to go to you. Look, man, without talking about ENS, and I promise you I'm being serious about it. ENS, 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 I swear to God, this time's used. Without talking about ENS, how, uh, as objectively as possible, please, for once, how's the NFT ecosystem doing? Where is the money flowing into? Uh, not talking about ENS, right? Correct. Got it. Yeah, so uh, this whole BlackRock and uh, current market cycle is, is really fun. The new cycle... Uh, comes with new narratives, but the old narratives still carry through. So the the old narrative for the last cycle was the Coinbase listing. Things would get uh, a coin would get listed on Coinbase, and then the coin would blow up. And what might be interesting this cycle is if the the BlackRock gets involved, and then you know either directly uh, the coin blows up, or you know BlackRock gets the Bitcoin ETF, the Ethereum ETF, and then that that money cycles down. You know, with 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 the blessings, and so uh, with the regulators, I think people hit the nail on the head. With the regulators, with the ETFs, uh, there's a, a line of perfect dominoes falling down in place, and just BlackRock is perfectly positioned. I mean, I I don't hear anyone talk about BlackRock, Fidelity, others investing hundreds of millions of dollars of USDC stable uh, in you know and and directly in the circle. Or Circle uh, restarting their purchases in the BlackRock managed USDC reserve funds, and you know from the traditional banking sector, you know there's being a lot of you know concern from their perspective about the USDC reserves that may be parked at the Fed, and how BlackRock 
you know, manages the majority of USDC stablecoin reserves through money market funds. And that, you know, kind of like BlackRock potentially applying for a Fed Reserve reverse repo, um, you know, I mean, the, the USDC is perfectly poised to become the dominant, uh, you know, CBDC. You know, USDC is poised to become essentially the Fed coin of America with the backing of, you know, major trusted financial institutions mm-hmm. like BlackRock and Fidelity and so the like. And so it, and once that happens, then that that plus the regulators gives the yep. green light for grandma and grandpa to buy on Coinbase and then just uh, everything. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. First, I don't know how that has to do with the NFT market. But yeah, look, it, it could happen. I think we're seeing centralization of the ecosystem. I just don't think that's exactly how it works. Um but yeah, man, like I asked you for once not talk about ENS, talk about NFTs. <laughs> and then we go into the BlackRock controlling crypto. Um, but look, I I I um um I, I do want to go to Gordon uh, Scott. Why do you even talk about the CPI data today, Scott? Why didn't we? Because nobody cares anymore. Why? Because I think that uh people have fatigue from talking about uh FOMC, inflation, CPI, PPI, you name it. We obsess over it every week to two weeks. There's some massive announcement. It doesn't fundamentally change anything. You get 19 Fed speakers an hour telling you what they think. And I think there's just a general fatigue where people don't care unless you see anything massively shocking. And I think people also understand that, I mean, you know, it's a difficult thing to calculate. And when you look at CPI, it's not actually about what CPI does, but it's worse. It's how CPI does versus the expectation of pundits who have told you what they believe CPI should do. And I think that uh, most people just eventually have tuned out and it's become a bit of a nothing burger. I mean, at the end of the day right now, it seems that inflation is continuing to drop. And so we're seeing the, you know, the efforts of the Fed in the past, the, the lagging effects of previous tightening. And we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we have much smarter people, Michael and Gordon here, probably to speak about this. Uh, so I'd love to just hear their perspective. Gordon? Yeah, um, thanks for having me up. Um, yeah, so the data today clearly came in better than expected. Um, and I think that clearly that's having an effect on yields and as a result, having an effect on stocks. Um, you know, I guess my overall viewpoint is that... Um, the majority of economists now think that there's going to be a soft landing. Um, I think the majority of economists are wrong. Um, I think that, however, given that we've cost, crossed the key level on the SP, S&P 500, I think that the market is looking to take us back up to the highs of the year. So that's 460, roughly 459, rather, on the SPY. Um, and then I think that and I think a lot of that is driven, too, by. A lot of hedge funds and, you know, just funds in general, people who manage money are not looking to get in front of, quote, the freight train that is the markets right now. Um, So I think that, however, by, you know, mid to late December, I think people are going to start to think about Q1 earnings and how bad they're going to be. And I think that the soft landing is going to increasingly be be taken off the table. And I think that then the market reverts back down. One other thing I'll note is. You know, the market today is celebrating, you know, year over year growth in CPI being lower than expected and that suggesting that the Fed is going to cut rates. Right. Um, But the Fed has said that they're going to be longer for higher and they're not going to cut rates Um, from 2000 to the trough of 2002. 
the NASDAQ fell 82% and the S&P 500 fell 50%. Over that entire time frame, the Fed was cutting rates and um, CPI inflation was declining. So you had yeah. deflation, which was setting in. So while the market's celebrating this dynamic today, I think when the market takes a breather and thinks about what this actually means, you can see some of this actually in the Home Depot earnings today. Um, and one of our companies reported today, Canadian Solar, it was down 15% pre-market, I think down 7% now, but the earnings were horrific. But when you take a step back to think about what all this really means to company earnings, I think the reaction in the market is going to be very different. Thank you. Yeah, the yield curve normalizes and the Fed pivots and then the market crashes. Because the Fed only pivots when the market is starting to crash or when things are really broken, right? So uh, that's happened every single time. You pointed out the perfect example of 2000 to 2002. That's what happens every time. Yet somehow people think that if the Fed pivots, all of a sudden it's good news and party time for markets. I tend to agree with you. And I think that the scary, the scary consensus on the soft landing or that the Fed has you know, uh, mission accomplished uh, is not a trade you necessarily generally want to be on the side of. Dave, weren't we looking at uh, Dave Weisberger? We were looking at with Mike on one of the macro Mondays on Bloomberg, the correlation between Google searches for soft landing or no, no mentions of soft landing in the mainstream media and recessions. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had the chart, but basically this is the highest, like every time there's been a massive spike in mentions of soft landing by the media, it has every single time, uh, been right before a major recession and we're at the highest ever. Yeah. I mean, I just want to point out that, that anyone who is surprised that inflation quote metrics are, are below expectations who forgot that they just, that they've actually undergone this year a change in how they measure inflation, uh, right. isn't paying attention. They're not paying attention, but what's funny is look at the, I'm looking at the yield curve. I mean, you know, the rally in the bond market is, is spectacular. I mean, it is huge. You're talking 20 basis point moves in the two, three, five, seven, and just just a shade under 20 basis points in the 10 year. These are these are not normal moves for U.S. Treasuries, the benchmark, you know, uh, asset class of of the world. <laughs> you know, it's you know, this is the second week in a row that we're seeing Treasuries trading with the volatility of meme stocks. And, you know, we've gone, we've gone now from, you know, whatever the percentage was, 30% like a month ago to 0% of a rate cut, I mean, of a rate rise in December and January, and now pricing in some percentage of a rate cut in March. I mean, basically, people are just kind of throwing darts at a board. It, the fact is, is, you know, you and I have talked about this a zillion times. The Fed is trapped. They can't really, if they try to raise rates anymore, uh, it, something's going to break. They know it. And we have a fiscal situation where, you know, the government has to put money in. I would encourage everyone to read Arthur Hayes's last, you know, missive, actually most of his missives, you know, on Substack, because he goes through all the liquidity that's being put in the market a little bit more surreptitiously. But that's what you're seeing today. But this rally today looks like a bear market rally. It just feels like it. And when it's really this sharp, that's generally what it is. Now, is it is it for sure? I don't know. But that I'm talking about in traditional assets, not in crypto, which I think is decoupled. And actually, the fact that it's somewhat down today and muted is important on its own self. 100% agree that for anyone who believes it's correlated and benefits from these sort of moves, Bitcoin should be massively up today on this CPI data, and it's not. Gordon? 
Gordon, I thought I saw Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, thanks. I, I just wanted to highlight on, on the liquidity comment, and maybe Mike, 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 Mike has some views here as well. Um, and maybe Mike, dis- I don't know if Mike agrees or disagrees with this, but we look at liquidity in the U.S. as uh, Fed balance sheet plus reverse repo plus TGA, Treasury General Account Balance. And you know, I was on the phone with a client today, and he was talking about how you know the Fed is doing $95 billion of QT a month. And you know, that that's really going to hurt stocks. And I just reminded him, you know, you, you got to look at all three of these things. And when you do that, you know, since the get Fed began QT, really, and, and since Janet Yellen has been building back up the TGA, you know, the, the drawdown on the RRP, reverse repo account, has nearly offset that. So if you look at liquidity in the U.S. since the Fed began QT, um, or, or more recently, rather, it's it's been really flat. So the, the QT that the Fed is doing is being offset by um, – uh, either a work down of the TGA or a work down of the RRP. However, you look at global liquidity, and we measure that by like the 11 largest central banks in the world, just add up their, their balance sheets and look at the week over week change. That is thoroughly falling. So one of the questions on the mind of my client was, even if I'm right, he, he didn't necessarily agree with the US. He said, even if you're right, and US liquidity is flat and global liquidity is down, where is all this incremental money coming up coming from to buy stocks? Because it, it, it just we don't know where that's coming from. So that's another thing that I think is a risk to this rally that it continues, i.e., I, you know, you're not getting the money printing that you were before. Michael. Michael Green, you there? I think he's, he's, uh, he's having mic issues. Scott, you there? Can you hear me? I can tell. I can uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Michael can't hear me, Scott. Can is you tell him? Talking? Yeah, can you tell him he, he can't hear me? Scott, you can take over. He can't hear me. I can hear Michael. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I mean, so the quick answer is, is, you know, I have expected inflation to retreat. Um, unfortunately, I think what we actually have done with the very aggressive and changeable rate policy is that we have um, introduced future uncertainty. So effectively, you know, what we're seeing is a slowing of the economy manifesting itself in lower prices or more accurately, <clears throat> decreases in price gains. Um, and we have a lot of imputed components, things like owner's equivalent rent that are continuing to overstate. I mean, this number is actually pretty remarkable when you consider in the core components that we still printed a year over year, 6.8% in owner's equivalent rent, um, which makes up about 40% of the core, right? So it gives you some idea how weak the rest of the market also of, of the inflation basket ultimately has to be um, for that to, to occur. The problem is, is that we've just set up incredible shortages going forward, right? We're not building the properties that have to be built. We're not building the automobiles to solve the problem. We're not building the factories to adjust the system, et cetera. We basically chose a very short-term solution to a problem that um, I, I think we, we probably have ended up making structural now. Um, and you know, in every possible way, we've tried to smooth that. Right. So owner's equivalent at rent itself is actually an attempt to reduce the volatility of the data that's coming in. We just did the same thing with health insurance. A lot of the inflationary metrics that we're seeing are going to retreat simply because they're tied to things like interest rates themselves. Right. So things like banking services, banking deposits, the cost of those is measured as the spread between the yield that you get on your bank savings and the three month rate, um, the risk free rate. So like we just are, we're dealing with a data set that is not designed to do what we want it to do. We're trying to centrally plan an economy. 
as compared to, um, you know, enforcing the rules of competition and, and making sure that the economy is actually functioning as it's supposed to, we're trying to manage to outputs as compared to the inputs into the system. And I, I, I just think that it's, it, the whole thing is kind of a mistake, um, you know, that we're going to end up destabilizing a system that was broadly stable for a very long period of time. We destabilized it once by shutting down the world and then trying to reopen it. And now we're probably destabilizing it by causing a radical swing in real interest rates that means that significant fractions of the economy are, are teetering, even as other parts of it are benefiting from a dramatic increase in income. Gordon, did you have another comment? Uh, no, thanks. Cool. Saw your hand up. Yeah, it must have been from before. Uh, Mario, could you hear Michael? Yeah, no, no, I can't. I heard what he said. Yeah, he couldn't hear me. Um, but yeah, I think we've, we've covered everything pretty well. Anything uh, we missed, Scott? No, I agree. And we're going to figure out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. I think we're, we're all traveling. We're on the move, but we'll figure it out. We'll see everyone tomorrow somehow. I think I'll, I'll land in time, so it should be fine. Um, but yeah, otherwise, um, uh, good gonna, show. I can't yeah, hear Michael. Mario. Is, is Mario talking? Yeah, if, uh, he can't hear me. Yeah, he's wrapping it up. Yeah, Michael, I've just brought you down, brought you up so you can hear me say great space. <laughs> Good to have you. Uh, Scott, final words, and I'm going to end. Oh, shit, I can't, end. I can't end anymore. I'm no longer the host. <laughs> so I just have to Hilarious. wait. I have to wait.